The salad never killed anybody. It's a dirty, filthy lie. <laughs> well, actually, actually, uh, uh, Rob would like to be on an episode. He wants us to do an Ava episode, and he wants to be on it, Neil. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> That's not too happy. <laughs> well, the thing is this. Uh, Rob loves Ava, and he knows you hate it, Neil, so he wants you to go at, go at you for an hour. Fight, 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 fight. Well, the first the first half of Ava is pretty good. It's happy-go-lucky, and then it just spirals into insanity. That's true. Funny, That's funny, true. funny you mentioned spiral because uh, <laughs> Phoenix is yeah. <laughs> Mine is the drill that pierces the heavens. Remember what I said about the same jokes every week? <laughs> you did that one already. Uh, it's still damn well. It's an it's a reference to Gurren Logan, so it's always fresh. Mm. I mean, Steve will back me up on Gurren Logan. Yeah, that's one of the craziest animes I've ever seen. I like I like how it starts off so like all of um mm. all the gain access stuff, it always starts off so normal and oh it's just another generic anime and then halfway halfway through the series it's like what and the then, hell and then they're throwing stuff? galaxies like throwing stars. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. But yeah, it's a, his name is Rob and he wants to be on an Ava episode just duking out with you, Neil. Oh, oh. He also he also disliked the way we were ragging on Minmay. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he says, "Okay, you're you're right about that." Okay, he's right about that. Okay, he's right about that. But she's just a kid. Oh come on, <laughs> An annoying kid. You can have annoying kids. She grew up over that series. That series takes place over like three or four years. <laughs> and uh, by the end of the series, she should know better. <laughs> She she grew older over that series, not grew up. <laughs> so speaking of things that are gonna piss people off, I was gonna I was going to do a, like a little short rant here about what is not in the Blade Runner era of anime, and that is uh, basically if if I had said that it was gonna be a cyberpunk anime show, then people start lumping in other stuff like Akira yeah. and Ghost in the Shell. And I like those, Ghost in the Shell, dude. Those two are immediately disqualified. <laughs> first of all, Ghost first of all, in the Shell is good shit, man. Ghost it's... in the Shell is Mamoru Oshii, and that man. First of all, he <laughs> loves to look at dogs in his anime. He loves to he'll... bore people in his anime. Yeah, he loves to bore <laughs> you to death. His animes are very pretty, but they're so oh, boring. Dog, dog. But uh, Mamoru Oshii gets a little credit from me because he did the first two uh, Urusei Yatsura movies. And the yeah. second one, he pissed off Rumiko so much because Rumiko never advances the story in her shows. Oh, God. And he, he, decided, he decided, you know what, I'm going to take all the interesting characters and tell a story. <laughs> and she was like, God damn it. <laughs> and he, was, and he, was, he had been uh, directing the show. And he was not on the show after that, and he didn't do any more movies, and and the plot stagnated once more. Well, Rumiko Rumi- likes to have it sort of hover at the same point in the relationship for the longest time because the status quo is a good thing for her. It, it, it allows more volumes to be sold. Yes, less work to worry about. Um, what's going to happen next? Same thing happened last week. It's like sitcom stuff, but I mean, I love her work. Well, yeah, sitcom stuff, except with uh, with an alien princess in a, in a tiger bikini, or a gender changing martial artist, or a dog boy, or uh, or actually, ripping my, off Bleach. No, my favorite one of hers is actually um, One Pound Gospel, which is the oh. the boxer and the nun. It's like a love story between a forbidden love between a boxer and a nun. Oh, by the way, Neil, <laughs> we totally have to mention the. The Rumic Theater OVA, when we talk about crossovers going wrong, because the Rumic Theater OVA actually had an opening animated sequence that had the Yurisei Yatsua characters crossing over with Ranma characters and Inuyasha characters all interacting together in an opening, and it was so wrong. I, I've never seen that one. I'm just picturing Ataru <laughs> hitting on girl Ranma. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> The other, the other one that's not going to be on here is Akira, and Ben and I have both agreed that Akira is an art house choice because it's on everyone's top list. Yeah, but it's really it's overblown. Not, not not any not anyone's favorite movie to actually watch. But there is another movie by the same guy 
that is much better, and that is called Raujin Z. And this is an awesome movie because it's about a hospital bed that has a computer brain inside of it. I have actually and, seen it. Yeah, and the computer brain takes on the role of the patient's wife, and it goes on a rampage through the city, and yep. it is so funny. <laughs> oh, and by the way, it's only 80 minutes long. Neil, do you have anything else to say to those people that love Akira? Eat it. <laughs> Damn. Hush that your mouth. Is, that kid is Neil at AnimationAndFishingAutos.com. <laughs> okay, we're going to start this episode. Uh, welcome again to Animation Fish and Autos. We have with us, uh, again, your host, me, Ben. And we have uh, TV's Mr. Neil. Want to see me make bubbles with my spit? And uh, <laughs> Captain Steve. Buenos dias, senorita. All right, so tonight is a very special episode. It's uh, one of Neil's favorites, the Blade Runner era of anime. Yes, the Blade Runner era, which, of course, encompasses <laughs> the, the bubblegum crisis. <laughs> I blanked out there for a second. Crusher Joe, Dirty Pear, and the irresponsible Captain Tyler, Inclusive. which will be kind of truncated this episode because we don't have Kitty Hawk. Which makes us all sad. Yeah. yeah. Let's have a moment of silence. Moment over. Okay. <laughs> Ready. All right. Okay. Neil, oh, we... this is your train, so start steering. Okay, I'm going to start with Crusher Joe, because I think that's going to be the shortest. It's also the most basic entry, because it's just a straight-up sci-fi adventure. It's about this character named Joe. He's a crusher, which means he's an operative for hire. He's a lot like Han Solo. His navigator is Alfin. She's a princess. And his shipmates are Talos, the grizzled old veteran, and Ricky, the spunky young cadet. And the reason I like it is because it's very Flash Gordon. It's very retro in its presentation of space exploration and adventure, and it is the swashbuckling hero in outer space. There is a movie in two OVAs. The movie deals with Joe being framed for something. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. I actually prefer the two OVAs because in the first OVA, there are prisoners that are being held inside of a inside of a, an ice prison that's orbiting around the planet, and it's going to crash into the planet. So Joe has to rescue the prisoners inside, but it's really just a ploy by the dictator that rules the planet to get rid of the prisoners and Crusher Joe. And it's a much more concise story than the movie. There's none of this political intrigue like you have in the Star Wars prequels. The first movie's still pretty fun, but it can get kind of boring. Now, the second OVA is called Weapon Ash, and the Crushers are on a planet. The Crushers are staging a rescue mission to find this woman who has a secret weapon called Ash. But while they're there, there are these things called cloakers, which are little robotic balls that float around, and they have tentacles that whip out and wrap around you, and then they grab you and explode. And it's just a really cool, it's just a really cool production because there's, you talk about the decapitation death in Do You Remember Love? There is lots of gory death in this one. And oh, it's sort, of, it's sort of like that one movie. Uh, what was it? This, you know, that one movie where, where the robots learn to learn to look like humans and blow up when you get near them. Um, really famous sci-fi movie. Do you remember the name? I'm asking you guys. <laughs> I'm trying to blank uh, uh, on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it was a very famous movie. It was like Seekers or Trancers or Screamers. Looker? Screamers. Oh, Oh. Uh, was that Peter Weller in that? On the weird planet, and there's all those, the things going underneath the ground. Yeah, yeah. Screamers, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, Peter Weller was in it. Yeah, but I remember that one. Okay. But back okay. to Crusher Joe. <laughs> okay, well, there isn't much else to say about Crusher Joe, uh, except that it is, that it started out as a novel series by the same guy who made The Dirty Pair. It's, some people think it's a, uh, it's sort of a, a prequel to The Dirty Pair because 
Yuri in Dirty Pair looks a lot like Alfin, and they think maybe she's the daughter of uh, Crusher Joe and Alfin. Uh, but that's neither here nor, here nor there. So let's move on to the Dirty Pair, and I think I think we'll get a little more. <laughs> what a dirty pair it is. Yeah, I think we'll get a little more feedback because this one's a lot more popular. Yeah. And there's a, there's a certain comic book series by a guy we all love that we're going to talk about. <laughs> so the dirty pair is Kay and Yuri. And the lovely angels. The lovely angels. And, they were, and they're trouble consultants for the 3WA, which was named <laughs> after a wrestling organization. The writer of the series had attended a wrestling match when he came up with the concept. And <laughs> because when you're of... watching a bunch of oily, sweaty men wrestling with each other, he it, thinks it of, was... you think of a space agency and no. hot chicks and, and it was and an people. all women, it was an all woman wrestling association, so Oh, okay. It was the women's wrestling world association or something. I don't know, but the women's oh, that, that wrestling association? That makes it better. Yeah. So you're watching girls in skimpy clothing wrestle each other, and you go, hmm, I have an idea. <laughs> well, the funny thing is this. Japan has its own wrestling league, and it's not associated with that with the with any of the other. So I, that's kind of confusing to me. No, that's like World Series Baseball. I mean, how many countries play baseball? United like, States. <laughs> yeah, that's the world. <laughs> Well, the Cubs are well, going to win it next year. <laughs> yeah. I live in Chicago. I know that's never going to happen. <laughs> it's a lie. Okay, so the, there's about, I think, four different versions, versions of the Dirty Bear. There's the original novel version. The light there's, novels, as they're called. Yeah. The Sunrise version, which is the original anime uh anime series there's the adam warren version which is the only official comic version ever made there was never an original manga which is really which is really rare yeah and uh, adam warren kicks ass by the way yeah we love you adam (laughs) be on our show and there is the dirty pair flash version which is this is going to piss a lot of people off but it is more or less enough an evolution from the adam warren series and it even takes some characters from it and modifies it. I love Flash, by the way. I just had to say that. People are going to hate me. I love Flash. I like Flash, too. I don't understand what the problem is. It's it's different, but it's not bad different. It's yeah. It's, it's a but, different interpretation of the characters. But sometimes different is a big problem for people. You yeah. know, just even little changes. But You've you got big boobs in our dirty pair. Yeah, some <laughs> of the, voice, some of the uh, changes that people don't like are usually... Voices when when anime is localized. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so different. You don't get the inflections. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Okay, and um, I think I think what we're going to do is I'm just going to introduce all the shows, and then we're kind of maybe weave in and out of the uh, yeah of the topics like a boss. Are you going to get the different versions of the Sunrise one? Because you've got like the the first oh, OVAs, that's... the movie one, the TV series one, and the yeah. second set of OVAs. It's like, and they're all slightly different. Yeah, they are all slightly different. At least one of the movies actually has the uh, the psychic abilities that the girls had in the light novels, mm. which they I don't think they have in any other any other version of the. Of the what, what I love it. What I love is in Flash they have this, like this little furry pet, but in the in the original animated series it's a it's a, like. It's like a big thing that flies their rocket. Yeah, and then, it's, and, and it's the original, like a bear cat. Yeah, and the original one is like a panther with a weird tail, with two tails or something, isn't it? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yes. Okay. And when we talk about Blade Runner anime, I think the most obvious one, the most obvious one is the Bubblegum Crisis. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Who's the main but, character? <laughs> and when, by the way, well, Bubblegum Crisis, the title has an interesting story. Because yeah. the title was supposed to be a, a metaphor on a crisis that was a crisis that's about to, about to explode. And the closest that the, uh, that the original author could come up with was a bubblegum ball about to pop. Yeah. <laughs> Tenuous. 
Yeah, I think it kind of works. See, a, lot of people, a lot of people hear the hear that and see Chris <laughs> singing and think they mean like pop rock or something. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. That's a so, weird one. Alan. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's basically basically a superhero series done with Mecha. The girls all wear the their uh, their Mecha suits. And, it's not really Mecha. It's power. Well, armor. Power, power armor. Yeah. Well, because and they you fight don't, against. You don't consider Iron Man Mecha. That's true. Well, technically, yes, because Mecha just responds to props and stuff. Well, no, it's it's the it's as as Tony Stark said, it's the ultimate prosthesis. <laughs> Sorry, when Tony Stark says it, it's a whole different meaning. <laughs> hey, man, you want to see the Iron Man? <laughs> it's powered by an arc reactor. <laughs> it lasts forever. <laughs> Apart from the poisoning, but you gotta watch out for that. <laughs> so anyway, it's a it's an eight episode OVA. Uh, five episodes deal with the main story of them fighting against the evil Ganon Corporation, and the other three are weird side stories. Uh, yeah, science stories. Yeah. There's one. There's one with a supercar. There's <laughs> one where it's <laughs> where it's uh, Nene. It, there's a Nene episode. Because you need those. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's just her screwing up for the entire episode. <laughs> and, and another girl who took a took a picture of her in her power armor and is considering outing the the Nightsabers. By the way, awesome name for a team. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Almost as good as the uh the K team. <laughs> Which we'll put we'll put we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, it's it's an animated <laughs> music video that actually impressed Neil. Really? Well, it was funny. <laughs> that always helps. Okay, and the last uh, the last anime on our list is the irresponsible Captain Tyler, which can be summed up as an idiot joins the <laughs> army <laughs> and. People think he's a genius, or they're they're actually not sure if he's a genius or if or if he just has dumb luck. <laughs> so he's the Inspector Gadget of the Gadget. army. No, 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 Gadget is an idiot. There's no genius there. <laughs> That's what makes him so cool. And he he gets uh, elevated to captain of a ship. Well, isn't he in the by... Navy then? So... Army doesn't have captains of ships. All right, so he's in the space navy. Thank you. <laughs> so he gets elevated to captain in the space navy. <clears throat> <laughs> this is such a train wreck. No, this is actually one of our best episodes of the. Keep going. Space space navy. Let's go with space navy. See, I was gonna kind of lean on Kitty Hawk for. Uh, for Tyler, and so I'm kind of <laughs> that's the one show I didn't preview. So now I'm kind of I'm struggling to remember what it what it was. Well, let's let's sort of leave that to broad generalizations for now, and leave it for a Tyler only episode, just for Kitty Hawk because we love her so much. Yeah, we're definitely going to bring her back for Tyler. Good idea. Yes. So I'm thinking that the show is going to mostly be about. Uh, Bubble the Dirty gum. Bear and the Bubblegum Crisis. <laughs> no, was it? Hey, you haven't mentioned Bubblegum Crash. Oh yeah, which was the <laughs> after. Uh, I think what was it? It was Artmic and uh, oh, uh, another company split ways uh, <laughs> during the production of, of Bubblegum Crisis, which why Bubblegum Crisis has no ending, and I think Artmic was the one that continued on and made a three-episode finale called Bubblegum Crash. And I saw a little bit of that this week. I saw the episode where Pris has a has a boomer kid that's following her around. And it, I'm, I'm uh, at a loss <laughs> of words. <laughs> yeah, sometimes things should just stop. Yeah, it... It definitely was not bubblegum crisis. I'll, I, I'll just say that. And by the way, Neil's favorite is 
Chris. Yeah. Because I just can't get enough of uh, biker lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> and and I know that I know that the story is that she lost her boyfriend and she's mad at the police because they kind of blew her off. But really, it's very clear in the anime that uh, no other man will do, and she's kind of hanging with the ladies now. Uh, I kind of thought she had the hearts for Leon. <laughs> Maybe that door swings both ways. It's possible. It could there's definitely the episode with the, with the uh, android lesbian vampire that she's really, really pallying around with. Does it wait? Does it actually count if it's an android? Because you're in different mm -hmm. ground there. It's whole new territory, you know. Well, it was a sexeroid, and she cries <laughs> like a baby when when this character dies. Well, I love is who they pick for the saber knights. You of course have the leader. What's mm -hmm. her name again? <laughs> Cilia. Yeah, and she she's the owner of all the tech, so that sort of makes sense. Oh, and she owns a lingerie store. Yes. And there's a, and then there's there's the the, the cop girl, Nene. Yeah, and, the incompetent cop girl. Yeah, so she sort of just sort of fits in there, and she she's the she's physically the the least intimidating looking of them all, with her pink hair. Yeah, and then you have Pris, who's a is a singer, right? Yes. Yep. So it's sort of like okay, you have a, you have a singer, you have an incompetent cop girl, a lingerie. A laundry store owner, and there's one more, right? Yeah, yeah, there's, Lena. yeah there's, I think it's Lena, the, yep. that's her name? Yeah. Yep. Who, yeah, own, who owns a, uh, an aerobics <laughs> class, and, and apparently is deaf, because in the second episode, she's sitting in a, she's sitting in a restaurant talking to a girl, and right outside the window, a tow truck comes up, and, and takes her car, and, <laughs> She cannot see out of her peripheral vision that her car is being taken away and cannot hear the tow truck. Tow trucks are not quiet. <laughs> Double glazed glass. Yes. I guess. <laughs> Space glass. So, yeah, it's interesting that these people are brought together to be the Saber Knights. And, yeah. yeah. It's so 80s. It's beautiful. <laughs> it epitomizes the 80s when you think about it. It epitomes the 80s, totally, yes. <laughs> Down to ripping off Blade Runner shamelessly. Very shamelessly. <laughs> Pris and her band, The Replicants. Um, Is, isn't it implied, at least, that uh, the leader is also possibly one? Like, she has the same uh, color eyes? I've never uh, thought about that, but, no. yeah, she does have red eyes. Because they play on that in 2040, they do some stuff with her, which I haven't watched again in ages, but she has some leak to the boomers. Actually, no, that's in all of it. I think that's kind of a kind of a link to Blade Runner itself, because uh, Harrison Ford's character is a is a uh, oh, what's what what a replicant? Yeah, a replicant. I don't think I think is, they he is he is or isn't depending on which version you're watching. He always has the reflective eyes in whatever version that the replicants yeah. have. So it's hinted at pretty strongly in any both versions, but it's pretty much the director's cut. It's, yeah, he's a replicant. For sure. Yeah. But the, um, the thing I always liked about Bubblegum Crisis, and it was one of the, the shows that I really, I think really hooked me to anime when I was sort of getting into art, was basically the design. I mean, if you look at it, um, you've got Kenichi Sonata doing the character designs, yeah. who's like... Mr. Girl Art from the 80s. Yeah. You've got um, Art Mick doing the, the mecha designs for the, the hard suits, the bikes, mm -hmm. the, um, was it the motoroid? Um, they also, the guys who did that did the transforming motorbikes from Megazone 2 3. The, mm. um, did they do the one from Mospita? Yes, they did. Okay, I suspected. There is an awesome book which I have right in front of me called the Art Big Design Works, which has all the stuff they did back in the 80s. And you look through it, it's like a who's who of awesome bike me mechanical stuff. Um, and character designs. They did Gal Force. They did um, uh, Metal Skin Panic Mardox 01. Mm -hmm. 
Do you remember that one? That sort of the first really cool, realistic mecha show, I think. Well, OVA. But yeah, you just had this really cool design going on in, in Bubblegum Crisis where it's, I think, visually streets ahead of anything else that was out there at the time. I remember looking at, um, <laughs> get this, the only way to get anime stuff in Australia at the time was like you go into Chinatown and you pick up the cheap Chinese knockoffs of things, of the, um, like, uh, Animedia and Animag, all the, the, the Japanese ones. So you like pay four bucks and you get like, Half it was in color, half it was really crappy newsprint. But they'd always be like, when I was getting it, um, this cool, like two or three pages of Bubblegum Crisis or a, a page of Galforce or some Guyver stuff. So that, that era was like, just sitting there soaking up all this cool design. I mean, the stories are pretty average, but visually. Oh, if there's one thing I could say is I, I would say that this era of uh, cyberpunk design is still the best era of cyberpunk because people afterwards have tried to tackle, tackle cyberpunk, add in the, the current style of technology or even Apple style technology, and it looks like shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, totally agree. There's a reason why Steve Jobs was asked to design Blade Runner because it would look like shit. It would look like everybody's walking around in the Apple Store, and that would look like shit. <laughs> yeah, this is all based on just take a step back. Blade Runner is Sid Mead stuff, who's, man, God, that's a, there's a design god there if ever there was one. So well, well, I'm serious. I'm, I'm serious. Look at any current cyberpunk work, and you'll see them inserting Apple clear aesthetic blah, 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 white bullshit, and it looks terrible. Yeah. And, and another, another thing, I don't like Steam Jobs, I'm, and I don't like Apple computers. I'm never going to own an Apple product. It's out there in the open, guys. We know. It's okay. I have an iPad. I love it. But it's, it has, <laughs> if, if you're happy with a tablet that has a, a uh, phone OS, then okay, good. Yeah. yeah. I have my Cintiq for my real tablet. <sighs> for me, it's just, there's just something about the, the technical designs of this combined with the rounder face styles of Kenichi Sonoda mm. and, and, and artists just like him. And that is why I am such a fanboy for Adam Warren, because Adam Warren is pretty much the Kenichi Sonoda in America. <laughs> he, he, did, he did a Bubblegum Crisis comic, which sadly I have not finished, but it looks exactly like a, like a Kenichi Sonoda work. Damn. With, with forwards by Sonoda himself. Damn. Yes. So yes, what about the music? Yes, the music. <laughs> well, this is this is this is another. Uh, I I will acknowledge that the Japanese music is almost always better than the American music. They never get the singers right in America, and especially in Bubblegum Crisis, it's just it's it's an early dub, and they didn't they didn't have the funds to really find someone who was good. Yeah. And, the the singer does okay. I've I've seen far worse. You've the seen original is. <laughs> what was yeah, that? yeah, yeah, of course. You've seen far better. <laughs> I've seen far worse. <laughs> what other anime of that era has worse music? Hmm. Oh, hmm. Uh, let's see. Would it would it be Robotech? <laughs> wait, yeah. <laughs> no, wait. There's good stuff in Robotech. Come on. It's memorable. At least it didn't have choo 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 choo. <laughs> but yeah, if you compare it to the original music in, um, actually no, I don't like the original Macross music, but the original Bubblegum Crisis music was actually the first CD I ever bought before I even had a CD player back in 1989. It's all coming out now. It's all. It's everything's everything ever done is based on Bubblegum Crisis. Let's just get Galforce, Bubblegum Crisis, Appleseed. But um, the Ooh, music Appleseed. Rich- we should have. We should have mentioned Appleseed. Yes, we should have. And I have Appleseed, and I didn't watch it. But if you talk about animation, the Appleseed anime have always been terrible. <laughs> That's true. But this brings up a very important thing. You know, this, was, this is, you know, the animes actually do have soundtracks that people can buy and listen to. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like, That's something that something the Western animation really never picked up on, I don't think. It's, no, it really didn't. It's changing a lot a bit now. But the only thing that comes to mind is ignoring the Disney stuff and um, musical movies. Uh, if you bring Batman up Puffy Yami, I will fucking kill you. I was actually talking about Batman, Mask of the Phantasms. It has an awesome soundtrack. Okay, you get to yeah. look. 
<laughs> don't forget Transformers the movie. There is a soundtrack CD for that. There is. And yes. I had fun. I was just keeping it quiet. <laughs> Keep it on the down low. Um, no, that's actually dare, dare to believe. It's just something that I think Western uh, publishers are starting to pick up on now. Well, the mentality is sort of hard to change. You know, people like to watch cartoons, but they people don't exactly like to listen to the soundtracks of cartoons. You know what I mean? Yeah, unless you're a weirdo like me. <laughs> and they don't like to admit that they listen to soundtracks of cartoons. Yeah. Uh, but Bubblegum Crisis has a soundtrack. It's And uh, as uh, Steve brought up, he listens to it. I, I, have you ever seen the um, the live action film clip for the main song? No. No. You've not seen oh, I've, I have seen it, yes. It's on the extras on the Bubblegum Crisis yeah. uh, DVD. So... I, I don't know, I just like that song for some reason in Japanese. I have no idea what it means. I just like the beat. Well, what I love about some some uh, theme songs, especially in the 80s, is, you know, I think the 80s as a decade just has a definitive sound. No matter what country you're in, everything had that sound. Yes. Like, yeah. like everything came off of a Rocky soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's tell, why I tell me I'm wrong, there. guys. Tell me I'm wrong. No, you are absolutely no, correct. You, you hit the nail on the head. And Bubblegum Crisis is aggressively 80s. Yes. <laughs> it, it's, it could be totally a Rocky training montage. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's what works about it. I mean, I'd like to see some modern stuff do that as well. Not just... Well, 90s, 90s, doesn't, 90s doesn't really have a definitive sound that everyone can agree on. 80s some reason did, but 90s is all over the place. I mean, you have stuff like, you have stuff like a bunch of guys in Seattle. Yeah. They sing, sing with marbles in their mouth and you have people. <laughs> <laughs> nice weird L reference. Thank you. You have, you have people in New York that are trying to, uh, trying to talk with, uh, talk with the sound, with the sound of music 20 years ago. They call it sampling and rap, but, I don't know what that is. It's... <laughs> you know, you know what the, the trick with the eighties was. What that is is when video clips first came out and became ubiquitous. There's a big word for the day. If you look at okay, we've got everything now where there's film clips everywhere and everyone knows that. But in the eighties, it was all new, and you have the birth of MTV. You've got this whole every song that single that would come out would have a video clip, and you'd see that all around the world. And that's how you do music. MTV back when they used to be music television. Exactly. Isn't that interesting? Oh, and uh, that reminds me of something. You, you mentioned the, you mentioned the 80s. There's sometimes when you combine two different products from the 80s, it doesn't work. Uh, yeah. Like uh, when when they dubbed uh, when they finally dubbed and broadcasted in in the United States, uh, uh, Saint Seiya. They called it Knights of the Zodiac, and they had the theme song, <laughs> Iran by the Flock of Seagulls. <laughs> I didn't see it fitting somehow. It doesn't work. <sighs> it's just such a random choice. I'm sure someone thought that was a really good idea in marketing. We can get this cheap. I've heard it somewhere else. And they, uh, did, they didn't even clean up any of the animation. It looks like it came off a VHS tape and they broadcast it on the on Toonami. Yeah. Sometimes they get that stuff cheap. <laughs> you can tell why. So, Neil, tell us what you remember of Appleseed. Appleseed, I just remember the giant robot with the bunny ears. Briarios. Yeah, Briarios. That's all? Come on. And Post-apocalyptic dystopia going to utopia where everything's actually dark and... Isn't Appleseed done by the same guy, the, the same manga writer as uh, Ghost in the Shell, or am I thinking of something else? I th yes. think it is. It's yeah. Shiro, who's he's one of these guys. Um, his old stuff is much more interesting than his newer stuff. When he did Ghost in the Shell and Orion and um, the later versions of Appleseed, they become these geopolitical tomes that are so boring to read wow. through, and they're, they're, they're indecipherable. You sit there trying to read through this book and going, "Who's this? Is Division Nine? And this is section? I have no idea who's who." But if you read his old first two volumes, of Appleseed, and the first volume of Dominion Tank Police. Where he's like having a bit of fun with everything. It's, oh yeah, it's an awesome. I've, I've seen Dominion Tank Police 
within the last year. And so it's sort of like I the exact it. it's sort of like the exact opposite that happened with Alan Moore. Well, where Alan Moore in the eighties was all about these geopolitical stuff that he himself hates nowadays, while well, in the nineties Alan Moore went to did stuff like Tom Strong. Yeah. But if you look at old Alan Moore, he he always looked at the um in some of the Superman stuff, he looked at all the, the fun, weird stuff of the character, and he'd always make sure find a way of weaving that in. Um, yeah. Miracle Man. Yeah, you know, he'd take the stupidest ideas of when, he's, when, he'd, when he'd update a character, and he'd make it work. And that's where he's amazing. Yeah, he made it worse. Yes, exactly. No, work, not worse. Worse. Yeah, exactly. Worse. <laughs> no. Ben. <laughs> I actually so, got to work on, when I was... um. Back in the 90s, I actually worked as assistant on uh, From Hell. I did backgrounds. My, my first paying comic job, really, was like drawing Victorian London, like all these giant... But um, I was working with Eddie Campbell, and he actually read me out a, a line of script that wasn't actually dialogue for the comic from From Hell. It was just an, um, a note to Eddie for drawing the comic. And it's like, it's just about the rain in London. And it's like, the rain beat down with the depressing beat of a Russian novel. And that's how he described the rain to his artist. Guy's a genius. He's all, he's also a snake worshiping anarchist, but he is a literary genius. Yeah, I mean, he has that um, in the basement, the the altar to his snake god. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no shit, he has for his stuff. But he's a <laughs> no. Look, I, I love Tom Strong. I, I love I love the stuff that he does. That's all bright and colorful and happy. And I I you know like I said, I just think that. People give Watchmen too much credit when, in the end, Alan Moore himself admitted Watchmen was his form of self-therapy. Yeah, and that, that's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing I mean, like, wrong with that, and I, it was it was technically brilliant, but I think people overrate it and overrate its significance and let it dominate the, the industry for too damn long. That's it, a group view the man agrees with, with me about. No, I'm not arguing that. Um, what was it saying? But... But he has that funny side as well. Like he's done that stuff. He has, I give him. He's got that breadth of doing weird sci-fi stuff. He read some of his 2000 AD stuff before he went off to do all the stuff like Watchmen. He's off doing weird, fun crap. Yeah, and so he, he even appeared on The Simpsons as himself <laughs> with the guy who did Mouse. <laughs> so yeah. But anyway, back to um, where were we? Appleseed. Appleseed. Appleseed yes. Yeah. Appleseed, if you've ever watched the video for it, the anime is terribly, terribly dumb yeah. compared to who the was comics. The stu- who was the studio that did the Appleseed, by the way? I believe oh. it was a bunch of monkeys. <laughs> Neil's, no, really I, good at, really, Neil's really good at naming the studios for these animes. So. Uh, but I usually have it in advance. Let me, let me find it really quick. What about Bubblegum Crisis? While we're waiting for that, you can tell us the one who did Bubblegum Crisis. That's uh, Art Mick and yeah, it's it's Art Mick and uh, Umex, I think yeah. they're called. Yeah, that's them. And AIC, I think, was the. I think AIC is involved in that. This is this is the point where when they showed high tech futuristic stuff. This is before they tried to insert CGI into everything. Yes, yeah. although there's the CGI apple seeds are actually not too bad because they're by the guy who directed the last three episodes of Bubblegum Crisis, who's really good at doing action stuff. But the that's, not... that's true, but the, the problem we have is this is the era in the late 80s, early 90s, when CGI is not even in its infancy. I think it's still in the womb, and people are using it. Yeah, you always had that stuff where you had this great animation stuff, and all of a sudden you get like a spaceship flyby that looked really weirdly shaded, didn't have really an outline. Really fake. <laughs> very gray. So and... also very fake. Yeah. I've been watching stuff and you're going, oh, they've got CG in there. And I, as a 3D artist, you're going, why did they put that in there? That looks terrible. Why can't they make it look like the rest of the animation? Why can't they just draw it in there? Oh. I'd rather they spent the extra 10 minutes and draw it in there than wait, three, <laughs> wait 30 hours for a computer to render it. That's exactly what happens. Because um, the computers back then take about 30 hours to render a frame. So you oh, think yeah. about this, and it would be cheaper if they just drew it. I remember they're animating stuff that just flies past like a spaceship. There's no character animation at that time. That's all stuff that's come up in the last 10 years. So it's always like, oh, yeah. Because you'd always see the cool hand-drawn ones too. You know, there's always that fly past in the anime stuff where it's <laughs> the crazy camera panning around the guys. I think there's a really cool shot in Macross where there's the, um, 
the Valkyries are fighting off and the camera's actually flying around them as, a, as they're on the uh, cityscape. Yeah. It just looks better when it's done by hand because you know some guys actually sat there and worked it all out. Yeah. Like yeah, when you chase, it, when Minmei's uh, falling, yeah. falling to the ground and he's, and Hikaru, Hikaru is chasing after her and the, the camera's just spinning around the plane as he's opening, opening up the cockpit. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's just, you know, like like I said, it was great with Bubblegum Crisis, Appleseed. You know, these are sci-fi, you know, cyberpunk series. And I bet there was a temptation because other series around this time were using the CGI and the computer more and more. But the technology wasn't even born yet. It was still in the womb. Yeah, it would have come down to what the studio had access to. I'm sure that there was a lot of talk around that time. I think the Korean guys are actually doing a lot of the... Um, we can do CG animation stuff, but that's more like... I think that's late 80s. Don't blame um, Koreans in this, man. No, I'm saying they came in there and they said, we have the technology to do this stuff. We can do that cheaper. We have the technology that can make this stronger, faster, better. We build the world's first Spidic Man. Yes. Oh. By the way, it was Bandai, Bandai, Bandai Visual. Visual. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I just have to. I just think that you know when I see other series during this time that have the 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 CGI, the really badly done CGI, I think to myself, you know, somebody in the studio that that looked at the stuff that was hand drawn and then the CGI scene put in at the same time, someone in the studio watched this and said, okay. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes I just got to go. Look, we've got to get this out. There's, yeah. there's that we've got. Um, Five guys sitting around animating. They've been here till midnight every night, and we've got to finish this episode because the next episode starts next week. Oh, oh crap, what do we do? Get yeah, but like I said, it takes a computer 30 hours to render that stuff even back then. Ah, but you can ship that out to someone else. That's how it works. You have an animation studio doing the animation stuff, but if you need to actually outsource work, it's like, okay, these guys over there will do it for this much money, and you ship it off to them. Mm. That's why it doesn't fit in. That's why it always looks terrible because you have a whole... Outsourcing is a tricky thing. If you do it properly, you can actually get a lot of benefit out of it. But if you don't, it just screws up everything terribly and becomes yeah. much more work. So it's a... Yes. So back to, back to the bubblegum crisis. Because crisis. That's the one, that's the one we, we all have seen the most of. And that's another one with cool, crazy hand-animated stuff for the, the freeways driving along. What's the car oh, chase? Yes. Oh, yes. And the cars Explosions. flipping. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Let's just pause for a second and think about that. <laughs> the beauty, the beauty. So, I'm just getting back. I'm actually looking through the um, the Wikipedia page. It's um, more. No, where am I looking at? Oh, wrong page. There's a character called Sebastian, but I think that was from Bubblegum Crash, mm. which is J.S. Sebastian's from Bub um, another Blade Runner character name. What are the cool stuff? Obviously, I think a key point of Bubblegum Crisis 2 is the hard suits, the armor. It's probably like the sexiest looking um, powered army you've ever seen anywhere, period. I can't think of anything, actually, anything since that that actually looks as cool, as iconic. Well, to be fair, most of the time when power armor is being worn, it's worn by a man. Well, yes, but there's still female characters running around in powered armor. Um, and these are really shapely, and they have a they have a clear bust, and they have high heels. Yeah, which is one of Neil's pet peeves. <laughs> Obviously, they'd be gyro stabilized for walking with computer assistance, so it wouldn't be an issue. I don't, I don't, I don't think the, I don't think the, uh, this, the night savers do a lot of running, so I, I'll forgive it. Yeah, they have the jetpacks. Well, the cool thing is the heels actually do click in nicely to when the bikes turn into the mech, and they combine into the motoroid. Actual heels actually hit onto the little leg pins, um, so they thought about it. They made it useful in one way at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the fact that they actually combined with the motorbikes, I always thought was cool too. Yeah. The, again, a nice callback to the other stuff like Megazone and Mospeeder. Um, yeah, it, it didn't really go anywhere story-wise though. They hit that point when they changed over, and the direction was really cool. But the, they changed the, they changed pretty much everything. The mecha design was slightly different. You had started getting a really weird um, perspective on the uh, the combat stuff. I don't know if you noticed in the last read that um, there'd be the combat and there'd be lots of guys swinging at the camera and, and 
whole different style of direction. Yeah. Well, this was done over a number of years, so yeah. the animation noticeably changes uh, about halfway through. Yeah. The the uh, the character designs change quite a bit. You know, this is reminding me of other series around this time. It's uh, you know, we mentioned uh, we mentioned uh, the Dirty Pair. We mentioned uh, what's I just had it on the tip of my tongue. There was another cyberpunk series back this time that I forgot about just now. AD Police, the spin-off? AD Police. Uh, yeah, that was oh, a, yeah. That was a spin-off of Bubblegum Crisis, a more serious. Yeah, it was. Uh, I believe it's a prequel. It's, uh, God, what's his name? Uh, Leon. Leon, yes, Leon. It's his, it's his rookie year, and it's like a trilogy of stories about him uh, fighting uh, boomers. In the pre Nightsaber era. And they also had Parasite Dolls. Which I have not seen and I heard it's terrible. <laughs> it's it's like it's trying to be really serious. Yeah. And uh yeah. By all accounts, they're right. A lot of stuff there was. Um does Black Magic M sixty six count as Cyberpunk? Has anyone seen it? Again, the guy did Apple Seed, Shiro. Coolest. Uh-huh. It's about the, the combat rep mech that gets activated and goes after the, the guy who created its daughter because she's stored in the memory. So it's, mm. it's, it's actually directed by the guy who did the comic, and it's the best thing he's ever done as an animation. It just Apparently he was copying the storyboards for Akira to work out how to do stuff. But it looks really good. Mm. What else was there? Anyone? You're going blank it's... now. It's uh, we apologize. This happens occasionally, <laughs> but uh, um, well, Gal Force isn't really. Um... Yeah, I need to pick that up. You've not seen Gal Force? I think I saw it a long, long time ago, and I recognize the style as something that I should own, and I just well, haven't gotten it. Again, I believe it's Kenichi Sonata doing the character designs, um, yep. Art Mick doing the the maker designs again. I think it was made just before or started just before. Bubblegum Crisis. It's about um, there's these two opposing forces. One is all female, and the other is all this mechanical stuff. And it's the paranoids and the oh, I can't remember what the girls are called. But it's like the bad guys are called paranoids. Mm. And these cool mech things that can transform. Um, oh, they got this weird way they squish their body juices down into the other mech. But it's got great space design, spaceship, space combat, um, really cool powered mech armor that looks like bunny rabbit suits. <laughs> Rabby, Luffy, the dumbest names ever on the characters. Um, Sounds fine to me. Yeah, definitely check it out. There's a few different, oh, there's about five different versions of it. As in, like, there's Gal Force and there's Rear Gal Force, which is basically a reboot set on Earth, but the same sort of characters, but a different look. Um, mm. Then there's Ten Little Gal Force, I think it's called, which is like a little SD version of it. Well, I'm going through my Art Mick book at the moment. Okay. Well, while you're doing that, basically, I'm going to go over what I think of what I think of when I think of these the Blade Runner era, yep. and that is basically it, it could be a dystopia, but but it's it's not it's not the sanitized future that is presented in so many other uh, uh, movies and cartoons. And it, stuff. It's truly it, punk in the cyberpunk. Yeah, it's not like yeah. it's not like Star Trek where they where they try to tell you that oh we we've evolved beyond the beyond the need for currency it it's definitely it's definitely grounded in what we know in our society today but they've added flying cars and and robots and all sorts of fun things that was really cool to think about in the 80s and i think i think people have just kind of lost touch with it but i still love it yeah it's that cool near future that we never got yeah it's the noir future <laughs> it's it's flying cars and robot women and somewhere there's there's a, a detective with a booze bottle by his side. <laughs> He's passed out at his desk, and, and there's a floozy walking into his into his office. That's what I think about. <laughs> and everything changed when she walked in. Yeah. Yeah, we got the 21st century. We didn't get flying cars, and I think that just disillusioned everyone. <laughs> it's true. I read a book about it. <laughs> no, I made that up. There's no books. Um... There's actually not that much in this stuff um, from Artmic, unless you count. Ooh, this Battle City Mega Road, which mm. is the first. 
uh, just all the designs for the original version of the Macross. Oh yes. So wanna be. <laughs> So here's the, here's, the, here's the biggest thing about uh, cyberpunk for me, at least this era. You know, because it was made in the 80s, there's a lot there's lots of 80s hair in these cyberpunk anime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and 80s hair. <laughs> we love it. I'm just the, mentioning a the, fact. The giant hair, the the big poofy, you know, rock the color. hair. Yeah. Everything had color. That's Yeah. You think about it too, 80s sci-fi, or well, anime sci-fi, far more interested in using color than modern stuff. I mean, that's, this is one of my bugbears that people just nowadays want to do, I want to do serious stuff. So they just drain all the color out of everything. Yeah. You get these monochromatic. To, to be absolutely fair, that was, that's not a modern thing. That, that, starts with, that started with Kubrick in 2001. Yeah, but... Kubrick had mostly black and white in that movie, I swear to God. Yeah, but he did that on the set, as opposed to actually, um, what was it, Underworld. You know, he went through that, led the director of that, just said, take all the color out of the movie. I'm watching the making of stuff, and he's just desaturating everything. I'm going, no, what are you doing? So, Underworld, that, that gets a pass because of Kate Beckinsale. Yes, indeed. But in, in this era, you, you wouldn't think twice about seeing a, a girl with green or blue hair just walking around your uh, your anime, it's completely normal. Yeah, yeah, it's normalized. You know, you have you have yeah. all sorts of color of hair. All the colors of the rainbow. Even multiple colors now. Yeah. As, as Neil and I mentioned in Birdie the Mighty. Yeah. Let's not forget the character that had the most colorful hair of all, and that would be Daly, the gay partner. <laughs> the gay police partner. Uh, <laughs> at the AD police. Who was constantly hitting on Leon and <laughs> <laughs> Leon wow. was on his bike was on the job. That's the important thing. And the night savers. Yeah. You had to catch the night savers. So anyways, guys, I think we sort of drained as much as we could out of the Blade Runner era without you know taking away too much from future episodes. Uh, I think it's about time we wrap it up. How do you how do you both feel about that? That sounds good to me. We will be coming back to Tyler, and we will be coming back to uh, the Dirty Pair at another time. Yes. And we have a lot to talk about with the Dirty Pair. Yes, yeah. we, we love that Dirty Pair. Yeah. Who doesn't? Nobody oh, that oh. wants to be on this show, thank goodness. <laughs> well, so, right, once I'll again, so once again, uh, this, this is your host, Ben. TV's Mr. Neil. And Space Captain Steve. See you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>